Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Hanford, and we're excited that you've joined us today. First things first, if you're a Dodger fan, congratulations. Uh, I have given you guys a hard enough time over the course of the last two years since I've been here, and so your team earned it. Enjoy it, and I will continue to say uh, go Giants. But all that aside, uh, we are in a brand new series starting today, uh, and that series obviously is called The, the Heart of Prayer. And we are in the midst of, a, uh, of an interesting and fascinating time uh, in the life of our country where there is a ton of anxiety that seems to be present. Uh, and so we just want to to be able to walk through this with you, talk about the idea of anxiety specifically, and talk about how it is that we are supposed to respond to that in the midst of prayer. But I wanted to start off with a, a quick story to hopefully illustrate to you what it looks like for us as we continue to, to be anxious. And so the story goes something like this, that there was a uh, a grandma who had never flown on an airplane before. She was incredibly nervous about going on an airplane trip for the first time in her entire life. And so um, after a little bit of coaxing and encouragement from her family, uh, she finally decided to take a trip that she had been wanting to take her entire life. And so she got on the plane and uh, she, you know, she flew to where she was going to. She got off the plane and as, uh, as she got back home, her family asked her, family said, well, Grandma, how'd it go? Did you, did you get there all in one piece? Relatively joking. And she said, yeah, yeah, I got there all in one piece, but I never put my entire weight down on the plane. And it seems kind of silly to us. Obviously, we know that her entire weight was down on the plane the entirety of the trip and all of that stuff. But so often we like to try to retain control of that. We try to, like the grandma, say, you know what? No, I... I know I'm on this plane, but I'm not going to put my entire weight down on this seat because I think it'll have an adverse effect on what it is that's happening with the plane in the air. The truth is, is that we are being completely and totally sustained by God, but we are afraid oftentimes to put our full weight down on him. And as a result, we're plagued by anxiety and we aren't able to enjoy the flight that he has us on this flight of life that he has us on. And most of us know about anxiety. We've experienced anxiety at some point in our lives. Um, I've struggled with anxiety in my life before, especially big job transitions and and, uh, life transitions as we get more kids and all of that stuff. Like anxiety is prevalent and it's something that I continue uh, to deal with. And it's something that just kind of tends to creep over us in big and little things, kind of gnawing away slowly but surely uh, at our insides, making you feel like you really have no control and the world is falling down all around you. Anxiety can be completely and totally crippling. We hear phrases like, oh, being stressed out or I'm having a panic attack, which are, are very real things. We often feel anxious. Maybe it's about, about our finances. How can we make this month's bills? How will I be able to fix my aging car if it breaks down? What if I lose my job? How will we put the kids through college? How can we meet our medical bills? How will I ever save enough money for retirement? What if the economy fails? You know, we feel anxious oftentimes. Maybe it's about, about our health. 
especially as we grow older. What if I get cancer? What if I get Alzheimer's? What if I'm disabled or I have to go to a, a nursing home of some sort? If we're younger, maybe it is we have those same concerns, but we have those concerns for our aging parents. You know, we're anxious, you know, you, you people with kids at home, we're anxious about our kids. Will they turn out okay? Right? Will they avoid drugs? Will they avoid sexual immorality? Will they be safe in, in a world that really is just kind of divided and, and crime-ridden? Will they be able to get into college? Or will, will they be able to get a decent-paying job? Will they marry a godly person? Will they have a happy home? What kind of world will, th- will their children live in? My grandkids, what kind of world will they have to live in? We're all probably anxious about what happens this week in regards to the elections. Regardless of what side of the aisle that, that, that you claim to be on, there is anxiety there, and there has been anxiety there for months. We're anxious about COVID. We're anxious about lockdowns. We're anxious about the future of our country. All of these things cause anxiety for us. And maybe as I was reading through that list of things, maybe you got anxious just hearing it. I got a little overwhelmed as I was actually putting the thing together. I was like, man, I should probably be worried about some more of these things. And these lists, they really could just go on and on and on and on, and all of us could create our own lists. And sometimes we, we can't identify even any specific reason for our anxiety, but it's there, kind of just nagging away at us over and over and over again. And if we don't learn to deal with it properly, it can cause all sorts of health problems, which in turn continue to feed our anxiety. And I remember times coming home from work, having a really difficult day, um, and, and just telling Sarah, hey, I need just a few minutes, and going into our room and turning off the lights and just laying there silently because I had built up so much anxiety over the course of the day. And if we take it to look at Scripture, there's something very, very interesting about anxiety that we have not talked about since I've been here. And anxiety really is just kind of a massively prevalent issue. Anxiety, according to Scripture, is actually sinful. So if that is sinful, we need to go back and see what sin actually is. There's a a couple definitions that we're going to go off of to be helpful. The first one is this. St. Augustine of Hippo said this, a word, deed, or desire in opposition to the eternal law of God. He says that is what sin is, a word, deed, or desire in opposition to to the eternal law of God, okay? We'll, we'll fast forward a, a few hundred years to Billy Graham who said this. Billy Graham said, any thought or action that falls short of God's will, that's what sin is. Any thought or action that falls short of God's will. And our favorite theologian, Webster's Dictionary says this, a, a, a vitiated, that means spoiled or corrupt state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. Okay, so it's very clear laid out that, that really is sin is anything that falls short of God's will. That's what sin is. Oftentimes we think of sin as just those things that are really clearly laid out in Scripture. Oh, don't be greedy. Don't be a gossip. Don't practice sexual immorality. All of those things are true, but sin ultimately is anything that falls short of God's will. So that being said, if that's the definition of sin, we need to see what Scripture says about anxiety. So this is, we're, we're, we're going to start here. 
Uh, This is a paraphrase from Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus essentially says, be anxious for nothing. Okay, read all of Matthew 6, you'll be able to recognize that. The next one we have is from 1 Peter. It says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. To get full context, you're going to need to back up just a little bit. But as far as anxiety goes, we are supposed to cast all of our anxieties onto Christ because he cares for us. And the scripture that really we're going to be viewing the, the entire sermon series through of the heart of prayer is this one. Now that starts in Philippians 4. Verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we excuse our anxieties by saying, well, it's only human, or anybody would feel anxious in this situation, we will not overcome it because we are not actually confronting the root cause of our anxiety. Namely, our sin, our sin of not believing God and not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, Paul here, okay, Paul was writing this as well. I know we just got finished with Galatians and we talked about Paul over and over and over and over again. But Paul here is writing to the church in Philippi. Okay, and Paul wants Christians to have God's joy in every single situation. And not just so that Christians will be happy. Okay, a lot of times we tend to think that, oh, oh the, the reason, the reason that, that, that God doesn't want me to be anxious, the reason this is written, the reason I'm not supposed to sin is ultimately so I can have a good life. And it's ultimately so I can just be, I can be happy. Okay? That's not solely the case. Does God want what's best for us? Yeah, absolutely. But that being said, Paul, like the second reason here isn't just because of our happiness. Paul wants to make sure that people aren't anxious, aren't, aren't continuing to perpetuate in their anxiety so that they will be an effective witness to Jesus Christ. That's Paul's goal here in Philippians. So in other words, we're to be seeking first God's kingdom, not our own happiness. That's what Paul is telling the church here. If, if a non-Christian sees you, if you are a Christian, sees you completely, totally weighted down with anxiety, weighted down with worry, weighted down with care, he isn't going to be asking how he can have what you have. Anxiety and joy are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both of those things. So for the sake of our testimony... For the sake of the testimony of Jesus, it's imperative that we learn to experience the peace of God, especially in the face of trials, especially in times like these when there is anxiety running rampant right now. All that to be said, I know there's some of you thinking to yourself, but, but I struggle with mental illness, I struggle with depression and that sort of thing. I know mental illness is real. I am very aware of the fact that mental illness is, is real. There are people in my family who struggle with mental illness. I get that. And I know that anxiety and depression are indeed linked. I'm not simply saying having more faith or having more faith is going to simply make you turn out okay. Don't hear that from what I'm saying. Okay? What I am saying is the Bible indeed wants what's best for us. God wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is recorded in his word. And so that being said, the... the like, I know that, that that mental illness exists. 
So what I am saying is that according to Scripture, if we go to anxiety and we go to worry before we go to prayer, then we will never experience the peace of Christ that we are to be striving for. That's the goal. So as we live our lives, our goal isn't simply to get rid of anxiety. In the same way that our goal isn't simply to get rid of sin in our lives. I think oftentimes we as Christians just think to ourselves, oh, we just need to stop sinning. The goal isn't to simply stop sinning. The goal is for us to experience God's peace. And when we experience the peace of Christ, the anxiety becomes a separate issue. So our goal is to live up to God's will, to God's standard for our lives, to do the things that he has told us to do, not simply not do the things that he has told us not to do. That's not the goal. This means that when it comes to the matter of dealing with our anxiety, we must at the outset, confront our motives for wanting to have peace. Bear with me. We're going to get to Philippians and deeper in just a second. But we have to confront our motives for wanting to have peace. If our reason, if our entire reason for wanting to be free from anxiety is so we can live a more peaceful, a more pleasant life, our focus is self-centered. And if our focus is self-centered, then our focus is wrong. We are called to die to ourselves daily, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It is not about us. There are many people who come to Christ because they are anxious and they want the peace that he offers that is good. But we have to check our motives. If they don't confront the fact, if people who come to Jesus with their anxiety simply seeking peace, if they don't confront the fact that they are living to please themselves, if we are living to please ourselves rather than God, They will simply settle into this self-centered life where they use God for their own peace and comfort. the, The peace Christ offers is a byproduct of making Christ Lord of our lives and living for his kingdom. It's not simply a medicine that we take to make ourselves feel better. That's not what grace is. That's not what faith is. That's not what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. But hear me, Philippians 4, 6, it's not just a simple formula. It's not as simple like if you're anxious, try prayer and it works. That's not, what, that's not what it's saying. What it says is, I mean, really what it means is if you're anxious, examine your lack of faith in the living God who has promised to supply the basic needs of those who follow him. If you're anxious, look to Jesus. He said he was going to take care of you or examine your focus, whether you're, you're living for Christ and his kingdom or you're living for yourself. Whatever the root cause is, anxiety is sin that must be confessed to God and put off. We have to be willing to confront the root issues here of anxiety. So the first step in dealing with anxiety is to examine whether it is due to a lack of faith or to a wrong focus on self. That's what we have to do. Which of those two is it? Do you have a lack of faith or are you too focused on yourself? So because of this, because of the idea of anxiety, because of the fact that so many people are dealing with, because of the fact that some of you are sitting there right now thinking to yourself, how is anxiety a sin? It's something that I regularly struggle with and how do I deal with this? Well, let's figure out how to deal with it. Let's see what Philippians has to say. But because of this, we must, and this is the next point, we must practice prayer with thankfulness about every concern. Not just when you get anxious, Not just when you begin to worry, 
We need to practice prayer with thankfulness about every concern. When Paul says to to make our requests known to God in Philippians 4 earlier on, when he says make your requests known to God, the Greek word there means face to face with God, to come directly before him to have a conversation with him. That, this means that, that when we pray, we have to stop to remember that we are coming into the very presence of the holy God, where even the angels, when they're in the presence of God, even angels cover their faces and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. A massive, holy God. He welcomes us into his presence. God invites us to draw near to him with confidence to the throne of grace, to receive mercy, to receive grace, to help in our time of need. But we also have to remember that even though he he allows us to come to him, we also need to remember that God who sits on that throne is the eternal creator of all things. He is perfect. He is holy. We have to remember that when it comes to prayer. And at the same time, we have to stop assuming. We have to stop assuming that because our concerns are relatively small in the grand scheme of the universe, that God doesn't care about them. That, oh, I have a a test coming up. And so, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, with everything going on in our country, everything going on in the world, everything going on in the universe... Uh, in the grand scheme of things, my, my history test really doesn't matter. So even though it's causing me anxiety, I'm not going to pray to God about that. Because we oftentimes think that those things aren't big enough for us to be able to give to God. But we're anxious about it regardless. And so we need to continue to practice prayer with thankfulness about every concern, every single one. And when we do come to God in prayer with our hearts in check regarding why it is that we're coming to him, we are promised God's peace when we pray. We are promised God's peace when we pray. He tells us this numerous times in scripture, but Philippians 4, 7, the verse that we're looking at, it says this, and the peace of God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God. The verse right before this says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. If you're anxious, that means that you, you are not putting enough faith in Christ. Don't be anxious regularly and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which means there's no other way for you to get it. There's no other way for you to understand it. It's simply the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not some psychological peace gained through coping techniques. This isn't some some ability to just like sit and meditate and clear your mind completely. That's not what this is saying. What Paul is talking about is the peace that comes from the God who is never subject to anxiety because he is the sovereign, omnipotent creator of the entire universe. Nothing surprises him. Nothing sneaks up on him. He is aware 
and has allowed everything to happen in the universe. Nothing makes God bite his nails and worry, wondering about how it's going to turn out. This is the peace that Jesus promised. It is humanly not explainable. There's no way for us to be able to explain it, but it is real. And every Christian, if you are sealed by the Spirit, if you have a total faith in Christ, has known it, has known this peace, and has known that it comes from God alone, not from psychological insights. That's not where it comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ alone. The peace of God comes from Jesus. So we need to go to prayer in order to combat our anxiety. We need to place it in the hands of the Father. So then the question becomes, okay, if, if my responsibility then to combat anxiety and worry in the world is prayer, how is it that I should pray? Great question. Jesus teaches this in Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as a, as a quick aside, some of you are thinking about why I didn't include the ending that some of you may have grown up with, right? The, that, that ending that maybe you ended church services with normally or, or you prayed the Lord's Prayer before dinner or whatever it may be. And usually at the end, as far as like the recitation of the Lord's Prayer goes and that sort of thing, um, we add what's known as a doxology, Okay, and the doxology says, oftentimes says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of God forever, amen. Right, so oftentimes that's tagged right at the end of here. I did not include that doxology. So doxology, just so we're clear, a doxology really is kind of like a praise to God. Oftentimes we use it as kind of like a wrap-up and that sort of thing, like the end of service. We've, we've done our ABCs, we've said our prayer, uh, and uh, at the end everybody's about to leave and the pastor, you know, says and prays a doxology over the congregation and that sort of thing. So that doxology, that end, was actually added to some of the Greek texts that were found and was thought to have been added at a slightly later date than the recording of the original manuscripts. Okay. A lot of people believe it was about A.D. 50. And so that means a lot of the apostles were around at that point still. Uh, the document that, that I'm talking about is referred to as the Didache. Okay. It's an it's a interesting word that's used, but it's known as the Didache. And because of the fact that it was written at 50 A.D., most people believe that as the early church was kind of getting going, getting its feet underneath them and that sort of thing, that this document was written kind of as like that early church's constitution or early church's constitution and really what it was. And Didache, by the way, simply means teaching. Okay, And so the document was a teaching document for, for those people. But it was kind of a manual on how to baptize people, how to, how to take communion, how to live... Uh, uh, a Christian life overall, how to pray, how to worship. Um, and oftentimes, a lot of people actually believe that this document was actually utilized to be able to, to tell churches how it was to make sure that any elders they were putting into place were actually elders who were going to be uh, presenting 
a true gospel, the actual doctrine. So if you followed along with us as we were working uh, through our last sermon series uh, it, to, to the church in Galatia, you'll recognize that, man, they had pastors and teachers come in who were teaching a false gospel. So this document actually was put into place to make sure that didn't happen as well. But that Didache, really that, that doxology that was written in the Didache, a lot of people believe that was thrown in later on. And so some of you may have that doxology uh, in your Bible, others won't. In the NIV, the NIV that we use to preach, it does not include it. And so because of that, simply speaking, we are just going to stick to verses 9 through 13. So if you say it, if you use it, I don't think it's wrong necessarily. I just don't think it was how Jesus actually expressed how to pray. I think it, if you read this the way it is, it just kind of abruptly ends and so I think somebody saw that how it kind of abruptly ended and was like, you know what would be nice at the end of that? A nice doxology for us to say amen at the very end of everything. So I think it's fine. Um, regardless, though, I want to take a second to look at the first line of this prayer. And we're going to pull some truth up from it. And this is, this is really how the remainder of this sermon series is going to work. We're going to go line by line um, and talk about every single one of these things. So the first one starts in verse 9. It says this, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be, thy, hallowed be your name. The prayer starts with Jesus teaching us how to pray to rid ourselves of anxiety. Yeah, he's simply teaching us how to pray. The prayer starts by reminding us who it is that we are talking to. Not just the fact that, that God is our father, someone who cares deeply about his kids, but also that God is holy. That's what the word hallowed means. Simply means Holy. So Jesus wants to remind us of that. And as a dad, I know that, that if something concerns my children, I'm going to be concerned as well. I'm going to be concerned for them as well. Not even because they're con what, what they are concerned about is insurmountable, but because I care about my kids and I can do something about their concern. I can help them get through that concern or that anxiety that they're feeling. And our three-year-old, Noah, Arguably the cutest kid in the world, the cutest three-year-old in the world. If you have a three-year-old also, my kid is cuter than yours. I'm slightly biased, but still, he's, he's cuter than yours. Okay, and, and recently, Noah has been, been getting out of bed. You know, we put him to bed. We do all the things. We do the hugs. We do the kisses. We do the uggamuggas. We do all that stuff. You don't know what an uggamugga is. It doesn't matter. So we do all those things. Sarah and I go out. We go into the living room oftentimes, talk, watch TV, whatever, and then we'll hear this little scamper down the hallway, and it's Noah coming out from his bed. And recently, in the last couple weeks, he comes out and he said, Dad, can I, can her mom, Dad, can I, can I sleep in, in your bed? And the answer is, no, you can't sleep in our bed. Go back to our room. We say, actually, we say, no, but tell me why you're up. Why are you, what are you scared of? And he always says the new thing that he's scared of right now is, is the sounds. Okay, and now me being the mature adult that I am, I understand that the sounds he is referring to, the sounds that he is anxious about, uh, are simply cars driving down the street that are close to his room because it's a road and cars drive down roads. I know as, as his dad and as an adult, I know he has nothing to be anxious about. He has zero things to be anxious about. I know that these are normal sounds, but it concerns him regardless. And so because of the fact that he is concerned about those things, because of the fact that he is anxious about those things, I'm going to be concerned as well. So what does a good dad do? 
A good dad reminds him of the truth of what is happening and that everything is under control. So the truth of what's going on is expected. The cars are supposed to go by our house because that's a road out there. If cars never went down that road, that would actually be strange. And so we can expect that cars are going to go down that road. And we have everything under control. We have everything under control because he is under my protection as his father within the house that we have purchased and created for our family. So I reminded him of the truth of what was happening and I also let him know that everything was under control. The same is true of God. Hey, we hear those sounds that, like in our lives that make us anxious. We hear those things. We hear the footsteps of the election season that is upon us. We hear the, the clanging of medical bills, the, the crash of lo- losing a job, and we need to go to God and tell him about the sounds that are making us anxious. And like a good father, he would then say, listen, I know what's out there. There's nothing out there that surprises me. There's nothing out there that concerns me. Beyond that, everything is under control. Everything is under control because you are my child. And the only things that happen on this earth I have allowed to happen. So go get some rest because I've got this under control. I've got this. And then we, in the same mindset of a three-year-old, can scamper off to our bedroom and finally rest in a peace that surpasses all human understanding because we have a God in heaven who cares deeply for us, a perfect God in heaven who cares deeply for us. So as we continue to battle anxiety, know this, hear this, that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. He is holy beyond comprehension. He knows every single thing that you are walking through. He knows all the bumps in the night that give you anxiety. And your responsibility is to come to him in prayer. Your responsibility is to let him know you are anxious and lay out why it is that you're anxious. And let his peace wash over you as he stills your heart and he reminds you that nothing surprises him. He has every single thing under control. You can go get some rest. The interesting thing, though, is really as a church, we've allowed this anxiety and worry to continue to kind of grip us. And I'm not saying don't ever, don't ever be concerned about anything. I think there's a difference between concern and anxiety. What I am saying is I think the church has allowed anxiety to dictate a lot of different decisions that are made. And so the question remains then is what would it look like if the church actually heeded this command and we recognize that our anxiety is sinful? That when there is worry and over-concern in our lives, what if we we turn to God rather than self-help books, rather than, than blogs about five keys to conquer your anxiety? That we as a church would recognize that there is no peace, there is zero peace apart from a God who sustains our every need. There's no peace. Now, the the real question is, I wonder if it could ever even happen. I'm not thinking about 
other organizations or some big program or another meeting to attend or, or more reports to fill out as the church or anything like that. Those things are well and good, and those things have their place. But that's not on what, what's on my mind. What would it look like if the church prayed? What would it look like if the answer to our concerns was prayer? And, you know, I know people have said, and it's, it, it's cheesy oftentimes when people say that sort of thing, and they say, well, the most you can do is pray. Which is true, though. God tells us, cast our anxieties upon the Lord. And we'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, remember Jesus actually said this. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer. Wouldn't it be incredible if that were true of our church? If our church was indeed a house of prayer. Think of the word that would spread. Man, those people, man, they know how to pray. They actually are living out the things that they say. And man, why are they, they are so, so much less anxious than everything else, than everybody else. And they know how to pray. Think of, think of the love that would grow in the midst of our community. That man, as there is just division in our world right now, if rather than bowing up against somebody else on social media and telling them why they're wrong, you took a second and you prayed for that person, that it would soften your heart towards that person. And love would grow for individuals. Think of the lives that would change. And not just people that we are praying for, but our personal lives. How those lives would change. Because we could sit and be quiet and recognize that, hey, God's got all of this under control. There's nothing he doesn't know about. And so because of that, I can rest and be peaceful and cast my anxieties and my cares upon him. Think of the miracles that God would do. Miracles happen every single day. Are you praying for them? Think of the excitement on a Sunday morning. And we would get up early, we'd come to church eagerly waiting to see what God was going to do today. We would sing with gusto and I know for Baptists that probably means we clapped for once in our lives. And we would pray with this like new fervency and listen with with new expectation. And who knows, someone might just hang around and get saved at the end of service. Think of the impact around the world as we begin to pray for God's work there. And not just Hanford, not just Lemoore, not just Kings County, not just California, not just the United States. But the work that God would be doing across our globe. In South America, in Europe, in Africa. The work that he'll do in Asia. In Australia. That we would have an expectation. I think God has more, than, like more for us than we have ever dreamed first have to come to him in recognition of our need for his peace and then watch how he works in and among us as he continues to move across the globe. We need the peace of Christ. We need the peace of God and the only way we get there is through the recognition that he is holy, we are not. He sent his son to die on the cross so we could be holy one day. And as God sent his son to die on that cross to be able to establish this peace for us 
So as we pray that Jesus is our mediator to God and that we would know him and he walked in our shoes, he understood the temptations and the trials that we walked through. He understood the anxiety that could have crippled us. And he took all that stuff, he took all of our sins and he went to the cross on our behalf. And he ended it there as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. On the last Sunday of every month, that's something that we, that we celebrate here. We, we receive communion and, and the way that we receive communion, it's called memorialization. And so we don't believe that, that the body of Jesus is actually the bread and the blood of Christ is actually the juice or anything like that. We don't believe that. We believe that every time that we go to the table of communion, we, believe, we take a second and remember what it is that Christ did for us. And because of what Christ did, because of what God did through his son, we get the opportunity to have peace forever. A peace that surpasses understanding. So today, like I said, as, our, as is our tradition, we're going to do communion. We do communion on the first Sunday of every month. And as we go into prayer, if you have not made a profession of faith, we call them the ABCs, admit, believe, choose. If you have not made a profession of faith, we would encourage you to proclaim Christ as your Savior in just a minute. Because you don't have to, you don't have to be a member of our church in order to receive communion. You, you, you never have had to step foot into our doors in order to receive uh, communion with us today. But we do ask that you're part of the family of God. And when I get to the end of the prayer, so I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I get to the end of that prayer, I will say thank you for your son who taught us how to pray. And as I say that, I would like all of us to recite, even if you're sitting by yourself in your home or there's two of you on the couch or there's 15 of you and you're having a home group, whatever, okay? I would like you to recite the Lord's Prayer together as is written in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And we'll keep it on the screen for you. Uh, to be able to reference as well. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for today. And we thank you for your son. We thank you, we thank you for uh, the way that, that he came to earth to be able to, to, man, to save us from our sins. The fact that he conquered death to save us from our sins. This broken creation. And one of those sins is indeed anxiety. And that's not the only one. There's plenty of them. We recognize that as we, as we continue to live in anxiety, that that is sinful. That we are failing to place our faith in you. We're overly concerned with things that we shouldn't be overly concerned with because you have them under control. Because nothing surprises you. And because you protect us. You want what's best for us in our lives. We know that. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for your son who went to the cross for us. And so for those of you that today who, who have not yet said yes to Jesus, I would just ask right now that in the, in the quietness of your heart to join us as a part of the family of God by praying the ABCs right now. Just, just follow along with me and say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I've fallen short. I admit that, that my sin 
that it is outside the will of God. That's what it means for me to be a sinner. That I'm acting outside of your will, God, and I admit that. But B, I believe that you sent your son on the cross to die for my sins. To die for those things. The sins I have committed, the sins I, I, I'm currently committing, and the sins that I'll commit in the future. That all of them have been completely and totally paid for because you sent your son to die on a cross and ultimately he conquered death. And because of the fact he conquered death, we get to be with you in eternity but we recognize that we're not there yet, Father. And so, see, I choose to follow you every single day. That as I wake up in the morning or as I go to sleep in the evening, all that time in between there, that I would do my best to follow you every single day. And, Father, we do thank you for your Son who taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.